0: Welcome to the New Zionist Podcast, a brand new show from New Zionist Congress. I'm Noah Shufatinsky.
1: I'm Isabella Hazan.
2: And I'm Blake Flayton. We're your three hosts, and we're here to offer a new, young, and authentic take on all things Zionism, Jewish culture, Israel, and politics. This week, we'll be discussing the latest conflict between Israel and Hamas, reclaiming the Zionist narrative, Jews who should stop talking, and the history of Eretz Israel. But first, what is New Zionist Congress? We at NZC are
0: here to build a space where young people can meet to discuss their passion for Jewish self-determination, learn about Jewish history, Israeli history, and contemporary Jewish issues. In the name of every Jew who has ever lit a candle in the darkness, we're here to build a bonfire.
1: So guys, please make sure to follow us on our Twitter at New Zionist and on Instagram at New Zionist Congress. And make sure to sign up to become an official member at newzionist.org.
3: proud part of the diaspora in my heart to hold jerusalem and africa kicked aside of our land and started gassing us till we put our foot down because we had enough check out the flag that i'm waving two blue stripes and a huge star david check out the flag that i'm waving keep shooting rockets but you never gonna take it so why Mercedes say this by the candlelight take a moment and remember the fallen for the sacrifice never again Never forget, they wanted us dead. We rose from the ashes instead. di ma historia, ledor. No hi el We wouldn't have a future if we didn't have a past. Every day, we gotta take a minute and honor those who passed. Then wake up determined, cause we're returning to the ways that they tried to erase, that we're preserving. Scattered in the wind, in diaspora conditions, still maintain the connection to our traditions. Morocco to Havana, Yemen living in Hayden, Ciudad de Mexico, Buenos Aires, we're all on one nation.
2: That iconic intro track is brought to you by the one and only Noah Shufatinsky, also known as Westside Gravy. Noah, can you tell us about how you went about writing that song, Diaspora, which I think has become an anthem every time someone DMs me on Instagram or Twitter And they ask, what content can I learn about to feel inspired by Zionism and to feel confident in standing up for Israel on campus? I always say, before you read anything, before you look at anything, you have to listen to Diaspora by West Side Gravy. So I want to hear the story about the song. I appreciate it.
0: And honestly, this past week, like getting DMs and, and reposting the stories of people who are like, yo, this is the song that I need right now has given me the inspiration to keep going. I came out with that song in January 2019. I'd worked on it for a while. I was working on another EP called Ethnic um, over the summer of 2018. And that dealt with the different stories and and aspects, perspectives of being black and Jewish. And while I was producing that EP, I made a beat where I was like, oh, I'm going to sample Havana Gila and make like a fun beat with it. I put a little like the West Coast funk in there. I played the original song. I like replayed the sample on all kinds of different instruments from the diaspora but I wasn't quite sure what I was gonna do with it. I set it aside uh, and finished working on that EP. And then first semester, sophomore year, I was back on campus. I dealt with the typical college experience of anti-Semitism. you know, we're all, we're all familiar with it at this point. And that kind of gave me the drive to go and write the lyrics that I wrote in that song. And it started just with the lyrics, I'm a proud part of the diaspora in my heart of hold Jerusalem and Africa, because that related to me personally. Like that was also, that's obviously my background being black and Jewish. And that's a background of many Jewish people and many black people having roots in Jerusalem, in Zion and in Africa. So that's sort of where it started. And from there, what I wanted to do is just really capture that like unapologetic spirit that I was feeling at the time, you know, pissed off with dealing with this anti-Semitism, having to always feel like I'm going out and having to educate other people about my own history. That's fine. But I was also feeling like I needed to educate people about my own basic right to have a connection to my homeland. So I was really trying to capture that spirit, that unapologetic spirit. So I wrote the song and I was supposed to record it in like December, uh, right before this uh, Hillel holiday concert at GW. And my microphone or my interface actually stopped working. So I didn't get to record it. So I was like freaking out, like, oh, I'm just gonna have to memorize the song cappella, so I could perform it. So I memorized the song. I ended up performing it at this Hillel event before I'd even recorded the song. And I was really anxious to see how people would take the song, how they would receive it. To my surprise, like it's a song that no one had ever heard before. It hadn't been out. There'd been no promotion for it. And people loved it. Like when I first performed it, it was a a pretty like smaller, decent crowd. It was on right around final season. So a lot of people were studying. But yeah, people loved it. They were like, yo, when is that coming out? So that gave me like the drive to go and finish this song. And I actually recorded it once I got home. I ended up going to Israel on a trip. And while I was there, I recorded a video for it and I posted it. Before I even had the song out on like Spotify and iTunes and and all the other platforms. And everyone was like, Yo, this is fire. They were sharing it on Twitter. Like some people from like the Israeli consulate and stuff were sharing it. So from there, like it was really life-changing, just because a lot of people could relate to it. They could relate to the things that I was talking about, about actual like Jewish history, about the personal experiences of dealing with anti-Semitism in the diaspora and fighting to still have our connection to the homeland. So yeah, that's kind of the story of that song. And since then it, I mean, I think it really opened up my music to a whole different audience and gave me like an excuse to continue to be unapologetic about my Jewish identity and my music.
1: It's crazy, but seeing, you know, being with you guys and seeing so many empowered young Jews who are ready to take back our story, um, it gives me hope, honestly. I know we all get hate, but what is most troublesome to me is seeing Jews with internalized anti-Semitism. And, you know, Blake, you started off the show with saying like, Jews, we should just stop talking. And I laugh because like, really, some should really just stop. I want to say, I think the fact that Noah's song, Diaspora, spoke to so many Jewish students is a testament to how our identity is being systematically attacked, as you mentioned, Blake, in higher education. And this was way before Jews were being chased on the streets this week in the diaspora. And um, I'm Canadian, and that song related to me just as much. And especially here in Montreal, um, it kind of of feels like France, because it's a French-speaking province. I feel like we are going to resemble France, unfortunately, in terms of like Jews having to make aliyah on us. And um, yeah, I just think Noah's song is so powerful because it speaks to the experience of Jews across the globe, not just in North America.
2: Obviously, these last two weeks were hard for a lot of us, they were difficult. Um, and we all have individual experiences that left a profound impact on us and I think on the wider Jewish community at large. So what did you, I know you went to mm-hmm. an event, I know you went to a rally, speak on it because it's terrifying.
1: Yes. I never thought in my city that I would see Jews running for their lives. And Blake, I texted you after, my voice was shaking. I was. Furious. So, all week in Montreal, there's been pro Palestinian protests outside of the Israeli consulate, um, very aggressive ones. I saw a Hamas flag being waved in Montreal outside of Westmount Square, which is like downtown Montreal. Crazy. I never thought I would see a Hamas flag in my city. Like, this should be, this should outrage every Montrealer or anybody with decency that, you know, Article 7 of the Hamas Charter wants Jews dead and anything that has to do with democracy and all the things that we value yet. It is appropriate to water down Hamas's evils. It's it's crazy. So these are the kinds of protests that were happening in Montreal for a week, and Jews were fed up of being you know attacked ideologically and you know having our family in Israel being attacked quite literally by Hamas rocket fire. So there was a peaceful Israel gathering downtown, and what's important to note is that the Israel gathering we weren't allowed to march because of the security threats that we faced, but. The pro-Palestinian protesters were able to march and walk. We were literally had to stay in the square, and the way the media reported it was that Jews were uh, there was clashes between the pro-Palestinian and pro-Israel protesters. There was not clashes. The police did not know what to do. We were wandering Jews, walking back and forth. There were pro protesters coming from every corner and they had their own tear gas, their own green tear gas. The one the police uses is white. Theirs was green. They had knives, they had rocks. I was two inches from getting my head cracked in half by a rock. Like, I was stunned. I had a rock fall to my feet. And I was like, am I in Montreal? Like, am I in Canada? Like, what's happening here? You know, it's different to get hate online. But then it's different someone to call for your death, like in person, you know, and this wasn't just people who are Palestinian. This was a lot of uh, Maghreb, people from the Maghreb. I'm not sure if it's the same in French, like Morocco, Tunisia, Algeria. And I'm looking, I'm like, I literally look like you, like you look like you could be my cousin or my sister. And for you to be so close to my face, chasing me and like wanting me dead and shouting it and wanting to pull off my chain. Like, do you not see that Jews are human?
0: I mean, I mean, this is sort of where I also question about like the Jewish unity, because I definitely think that like right now, like our people are 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 unified right now for the most part. And at the same time, I think that like we're seeing a bigger issue of us not even knowing our own history. And I guess like here's like a little blast from the past. Here's like something that I learned about, you know, a lot of times, like I tell people I'm a Judaic studies major or I was, no, graduate now, but um, people, they'll ask, even fellow Jews, why would you do that? Like, why are you majoring in that? Because it's not seen as practical and it's not necessarily valued by members of our own community. And the answer is because like, look what's happening now where we don't even know our own history. And obviously there are different ways to learn it. That was my way of like connecting with my roots and actually looking into my history so I can understand the context, but there's a context for this. I've been thinking a lot about like the riots and, and reading more about them, the riots and pogroms that happened uh, in Eretz Israel in in during the mandate period when it was the British mandate of Palestine, and you know it, it shows exactly what's happening to us now, except it happened back then, like word for word. So in the nineteen in 1920, there's the Nebi Musa riots which happened, and you had Mufti Amin al-Husseini, who was is an Islamist and an Arab nationalist leader during the mandate period, uh, inciting. You know, anti-Semitic riots and under the guise of anti-Zionism, under the guise of being, you know, anti-British imperialism and scapegoating the Jews. People were chanting in the streets, there's gonna be an independent Palestine where Arabs will rule and Jews will be our dogs. And they went out, they ransacked the Jewish quarter. And apparently this is to have an independent Palestine to fight the British. Despite the fact that most of the Jews then too were also against the British, but just using that as an excuse to attack Jews and people joined in, ransacked the Jewish quarter, Jews were killed. A year later, you had the Jaffa riots in 1921, where you literally had the Jewish Communist Party, as it was called at the time, who were distributing flyers saying we're going to get the British out of here and establish a Soviet Jewish state here in 1921. And at that time, you had Arab nationalists who joined with the British police to disperse and attack those Jews who were marching, having these protests, distributing these flyers. And then you have in 1936 more riots where Jews were targeted, and the Tulkaram shootings in 1936, where you know you had Arab nationalists robbing a convoy for money and weapons so they could start the Arab Revolt of 1936, and literally just pulling Jews aside, despite the fact that at that time there were Jewish organizations fighting the British actively and murdering Jews on the side of the road. It didn't matter what we did, which political side of the aisle we fell on, if we shared the same political goals. There was hatred against Jewish people back then because we were Jewish, not because of any sort of political issue. It was because the prospect of Jewish independence in our homeland, Jewish connection to our homeland was enough to piss them off because Israel's enough of our identity, it's enough of Judaism, that regardless of whatever other political goals we may share, there's no reconciling that fact. Like you can understand the other perspective, you can understand another side, but you can't reason with hatred. And I think that's like the biggest thing is that you have people in our own community trying to apologize for that. And they don't know. I'm a proud part of the diaspora.
1: So as empowered young Jews, we see what's happening. We're able to detect the problems. And I think we should start caring more about how are we going to take control of our narrative and tell our story from a Jewish perspective, you know, and stop complaining about what Bella Hadid posts. What Bella Hadid posts is a symptom of a much, much greater problem, as Noah, you put it. It's a symptom. And I really like that word because it is a symptom. The issue is, you know, in academia, politicians and, you know, It's almost mainstream that it's okay to speak over Jewish voices, and I would say it is.
0: I think a lot of that is really, like, tapping into our roots, recognizing where we come from, and realizing that, like, in certain parts of the diaspora, Jewish people have gotten comfortable, and it's not because of a privilege that we were given, it's because of hard work that we put in to liberate ourselves. And I think, like, what that looks like pragmatically, a lot of times... Like, people are trying to get us to acknowledge privileges that we don't necessarily have. It's important to have a conversation when it comes to issues about like colorism in different societies and diaspora societies. But also, we need to take a step back and remember like our roots, remember where we come from, remember our experiences. Like, in my shoes, it's a little different because I'm black. I've had people try and talk to me about acknowledging my privilege. And for me, it's like, give me a break, get out of here with that. (laughs) Like, literally, I know people who were sharecroppers, like in my family, still alive, fled Mississippi because of white terrorism. Like that's, it's out, like I'm not going to engage someone about acknowledge my privilege. Like that's nonsense to me. And I think the same goes to a certain extent within the Jewish community when it comes to these conversations. We're not going to apologize for the fact that we survived, that we've reconnected with our homeland. Because even though some people of older generations have like really- you know, we're really striving to like assimilate. That's not where we're at nowadays. That's not where we're at. We still carry that generational trauma, no matter how much we try and overcome and get rid of that. And we need to mobilize and, and use that to actually push the narrative forward and advocate for our causes. You know, Everyone who's out here apologizing and listening to someone say something blatantly anti-Semitic and prefacing their statement with, I understand where you're coming from, halas. No more of that understand where you're coming from. We can't do that. We need to explain it, call out anti-Semitism when you hear it.
2: This week, Biana Goladriga, who is a uh, a reporter with CNN, was interviewing um, the Pakistani foreign minister, and he was talking about how Israel is losing the PR battle. You know, Israel the the image of Israel is not coming across well, and and they're being made rightfully so to be seen as the enemy. And he said that that was super hard for Israel because, you know, they have deep pockets and they control the media. And without hesitation, she said, that sounds like an anti-Semitic trope. And he was taken aback by it because we're not They're, they're not used to Jews so adamantly and so confidently saying that was anti-Semitism. And I know it for a fact. I smelled it. I sensed it. I could identify it instantly. And that's what we need to instill into Jewish college students. You know, if someone is dragging the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and dragging Zionism into every single conversation there is, say, that's anti-Semitic. That makes me feel uncomfortable. That has nothing to do with criticism of Israeli policy. You're not talking about politics. You're not talking about Gaza. You're not talking about military operations. You are using the same exact tropes that anti-Semites have used for centuries and refashioning them to make them sound like social justice. And it's unacceptable.
0: And that's the attitude you have to take because a lot of times we trick ourselves into thinking, oh, like we have to be nice to try and change someone's mind. But no. answering like that already is going gonna, is gonna to define whether that person's mind is going to be changed or I'm not. I'm
2: so done no being nice.
0: It's it's useless because like a little personal story. People have said anti-black like racist things to me, and I don't. Oh, like I understand where you're coming from. No, I say, hey, that's that's racist, and like you're not going to say that to me. If it's someone who genuinely was uneducated and ignorant, they'll come back and say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't want to hurt you. Like I'm trying to learn or or whatever. Like the terminology as of the day. Then like it's up to me to decide whether or not it's worth my energy to continue to interact with the person if they have good intentions and I believe them. If someone Here's you call out racism, anti-Semitism in this case, and they go on and try to make excuses for it, it's a lost cause. It's not even worth trying to approach it with that niceness. It's better to get it over with, hop over that little hurdle, figure out whether they're worth engaging with or not, and stop trying to protect someone's feelings over if they say something anti-Semitic. That's on them to figure out.
1: What's important is the way that CNN reporter called out that ambassador. Now, those who are watching CNN, those who are in the middle who don't know can clearly see that this was anti Semitic and he only and she went in and he dug his hole even deeper. So don't bother with those people who anti Semites in your DMs. Post on the offensive. And you know, I know a lot of people are scared to post because of their jobs and it's and you know, it's quiet, but is that quiet that will, that will lead this to continue? Momentary discomfort. Is very good for the long term because now, like you're going to be out and proud of your identity, and people respect you for it. At work, like people like respect Blake, Noah, and I because you know we're speaking out about it. It's nothing to be ashamed of, and the more we act like it's shameful, the more people will treat you that way. Of course, what do you expect?
2: Kenneth Roth, who is the executive director of the Human's Right of the Human Rights Watch, he posts a picture and says anti-semitic incidents have surged e.g. fivefold in london in light of the israeli government's recent conduct it is wrong to equate the jewish people with the apartheid and deadly bombardment of prime minister netanyahu's government and what's happening in what's happening in israel palestine right now is not causing the anti-semitism in the diaspora Anti-Semitism is what is causing Hamas to shoot rockets into Israel and therefore providing fertile soil for anti-Semitism to sprout everywhere else. It is not cause and effect. It is the same virus, just different manifestations of the same virus. And Aynat Wilf, Dr. Aynat Wilf, the Love patron her. saint of New Zionist Congress,
1: okay,
2: <laughs> said, I'm beginning to suspect that it's not that attacks on Jews in the West are the unfortunate and unintended consequence of the persistent demonization of Israel, but rather that the demonization of the Jewish state is undertaken so as to re-legitimize attacks on Jews in the West. That's all it is. Demonization of Israel in the West is anti-Semitism because it leads to physical anti-Semitism. So anti-Zionism will always end in Jews, in whatever diaspora society they find themselves in, feeling uncomfortable because it's an attack on all of us. It's saying that none of us have a right to power, that none of us have a right to authority, that none of us have a right to make decisions for ourselves and be free. That's all anti-Zionism is.
0: I don't know. Maybe Kenneth Roth is Haman of the Week.
2: Kenneth Roth. Okay, so our Haman of the Week is Kenneth Roth for that atrocious tweet. And our Habibi of the week is Biana Goladriga for calling out anti-Semitism when she heard it. Key applause. Yes. Well, everyone, what a thrilling and important conversation. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Stay tuned next week. For the New Zionist podcast, when we reveal the plans to storm the Vatican and, and liberate the menorah from the basement. I know you're all very excited. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at New Zionist Congress, on Twitter, at New Zionists, and sign up to become a member at newZionists.org.
0: Thanks for joining us. Yalla bye.
2: I'm a proud part of the diaspora in my
3: heart to hold Jerusalem and Africa. Kicked aside side of land and started gas us till we put our foot down cause we had enough check out the flag that i'm waving two blue stripes and a huge star david check out the flag that i'm waving keep shooting
1: rockets but you never gonna take it